Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Dennis Stewart, and I'm here today to give this lesson. It's entitled Isaiah Prophecies. Excuse me. <laughs> Isaiah prophesies 16 abuses suffered by Christ. And I uh, be just became interested in looking at these verses during the Easter season. And uh, I wanted to give this lesson today after having time to study a little bit uh, about it. And I'm always struck with looking at the example of Christ anyway, uh, physically, mentally, spiritually, all of it. And what I uh, continue to notice is Christ's ability to avoid the uh, exaltations of the highs in his career, in his life, and the accolades that were poured upon him, and humble himself to give credit where credit's due. Well, we could all take a big lesson from that. Uh, it's God that gave him the ability to do all of those things that he did. And he gives them to us, doesn't he? Uh, we can start our own long slide downward if we start taking that credit instead of giving it to God, is what I'm saying. And his absolute refusal to allow the lows to cause him to suffer the depression that would go with the lows. He was a man of sorrows, and it could show on him sometimes, and you knew that he was dealing with it, but you didn't see it remain on his countenance, uh, according to scripture. He was, uh, he was beyond that, above the lows, and beneath the highs, if you want to look at it that way. And how many Sunday school lessons are there there? Um, we're going to talk about the prophecies in chapter 52 and 53 uh, that Isaiah gave from the Lord, about our Lord. And in uh, chapter 52, verse 13 through 15, it talks about how he was marred, his visage. And that is his physical appearance, his face is his visage. Uh, he was marred so badly that the, uh, his face was unrecognizable. Uh, he was beaten with a staff, crown placed on his head, uh, not just placed there, but dug into his face in the scalp and hit with the rods and the fists and the slaps. And before long, his face was unrecognizable. People that weren't even righteous were turned their face so as not to see all of the damage that was done. And uh, so there was a, a couple of ways to interpret that we hid his face. We hid our faces from him. They did because of the way he looked, and they did if you look at how they responded to what he was saying about his lordship. Um, and so his facial features were changed from the beatings, the crown of thorns. So in these verses, chapter 52, 13 through 15, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently with wisdom and uh, appropriately and with great common sense and so on. All of that is prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Look at the very extreme highs and the very extreme lows that he went through in life. As many were astonished or astonished, that's shamem is the word used there. They looked at him in amazement and in wonder at what had been done to his face. Um, uh, at the, his visage um, was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see. And that which they had not heard 
shall they consider? We'll talk a little bit more about that. And in Romans 15, 21, but, it is written, but as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they have not heard shall understand. What a promise. We need to go reach the entire world, but look what it says here in this verse. Those that had not even heard that he was spoken of, they shall see, and they have not heard, but they shall understand. Um, great things happening there that we don't understand except by faith, but by faith, that's how they will accept the King of Kings into their lives. So as a note here, most of us have probably seen men or women in, in all important positions of life, no matter what it is, the top right on down through the bottom. As we look at people, our tendency is to look at them in highs and lows based on their position in life. And they're talking and all of a sudden they realize that in the room there's a prayer being offered. What do they do? They stop immediately. They bow their head and they stay still until the prayer is over. I think about that when I read things like kings shall shut their mouths at him. Uh, For that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. There's a story about a, a uh, staffer that was a Christian in uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson administration and he had asked the staffer to pray over their meal a big table a whole bit he started to pray a little nervous probably praying in the presence of all of those distinguished people and he hadn't gotten any more into it and Johnson speaks up loudly interrupts the prayer and says speak up we can't hear you And as, as, as diplomatically as he could, the young man said softly, I wasn't talking to you, sir. And the president remained silent throughout the rest of the prayer. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. Um... They stop talking immediately, remain still, and they're silent. They show reverence. Even if they're not Christians, they'll show that. And it confirms the word in Isaiah when that happens, in my, in my view. Isaiah 53, 1 through 3, Who hath believed our report? In other words, the prophecies from the Lord that the prophets were giving, not just Isaiah, but the others. Who has believed them? We had a whole seminar on that one time, didn't we? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. He grew up in their midst, didn't he? He was a young child and grew up right where they lived. And as a root out of the dry ground, hath he hath no form or comeliness. And when he shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. You'll see some theologians talk about how this was talking about how he looked after the beatings. But most will say he just wasn't a comely fellow (laughs) anyway. He was... Uh, politely saying he might have even been ugly so that when you looked at him there was nothing about him to make you think that he was special and yet it was God through him that created those exaltations and when it did he humbled himself gave credit to his father well they marred and distorted his form also in other words his shape his body the appearance of his body changed Isaiah prophesied this centuries before. As many were astonished or astonied, there it is again, Shemim, 
astonished at the destruction, at the, his visage was so marred before, uh, marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. That's in Isaiah 52, 14. So before Jesus was executed, he was scourged. It means he was whipped. He was flogged without mercy. And the method that was used was a whip uh, that had uh, usually three strands in it where they had sewn in or attached, woven in, pieces of metal, pieces of sheep bones. So when the lashes hit his back and pulled across, it pulled out flesh. It wasn't just the strike itself that was damaging his body. It was the metal and the sheep bones that were scraping out flesh as the whip went across his back. Um, and so the whip was designed to cause maximum amount of pain and loss of blood. As Jesus was whipped, these large pieces of metal and bone could cut into his body and ripping pieces of flesh off with every harsh lash. His hands were tied to the post. He could do nothing more than simply take it, although he could have stopped it at any time. He did, could do nothing more than just, but just take it. He was lashed to that uh, post. So he received 39 lashes with his whip. Why 39? Because Jewish law would not allow as many as 40 lashes. So he received the maximum. And he had great loss of blood, as you can imagine, and was extremely weak. Many men died from the, from the uh, scourging. They never got to the crucifixion. Uh, but of course, Christ was young, and it was, he was to be crucified. And so he made it through that torture. So once the whipping was over, Jesus' back was ripped wide open. He was undoubtedly weak from much blood loss. After the horrendous ordeal, the Romans took him to the governor's palace for the purpose of humiliating him and making it also official not only in Jewish law, but also in Roman law, that he was to be crucified. They put together a crown that was made of thorns and they rammed it into his head, causing blood to gush down his face. And this crown of thorns, we are told by the historians, was made of twisted thorns from the local jujube tree, which was, grew in that area. And this tree at each leaf had a thorn that was a half an inch long to an inch long. And then it was just rammed on the top of his head. The thorns, as you can imagine, went deep into his scalp and also slid down and scraped uh, the side of his face, depending on their location. And that caused the blood and caused the change to his face so that he was just unrecognizable and could, people couldn't even look at him, not even those that wanted him to die, could look at his face. It was marred so much. Um, this cruci crucifixion was used by the Romans as a Roman punishment, but they added the crown of thorns to that punishment because they wanted to mock him as king of the Jews. So in the documentation of Jesus' crucifixion found within the Gospels, crown of thorns was placed upon his head by the soldiers as a mockery. And um, one word uses platted, which means that it was rammed down hard. Um, Jesus had told Pilate that his kingdom was not of this world. So the soldiers draped the purple robe around Jesus and put that crown of thorns on his head so that they could stand back and shout, Hail, King of the Jews. They hated the Jews anyway. And so now they can scoff and show no mercy. 
John 19, 1 through 3, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers plaited, okay, to weave or to twist this crown of thorns that they could place on his head, and they put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail the King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Some fists, the Jews slapped him. The Romans hit him with their fists and also slapped him. The Roman soldiers did this terrible thing to make a mockery of Jesus and belittle him. The crown of thorns symbolized the royalty and the majesty of a king and was used as part of their futile attempts to humiliate him. They had no idea. They just simply did not realize that Jesus was offering up his own life in accordance with the will of his Father in order to save the world. That's what he was there for. Romans thought they were in charge. They thought they were doing this. They weren't. Jesus was not taking it. Jesus was giving it. Uh, and Isaiah prophesied these things. Well, the soldiers began to beat him with a scepter after that. What is a scepter? You've probably seen one. It's a rod, and it may have an ornament on the top of it. It's always four feet or more, depending on what the king or the royalty have decided they want their scepter to be. And they had one of those scepters and they used it to beat him about the head. Imagine how that felt with the thorns already in his head and the swelling that occurred as a result. So at this point, Jesus was weak, he was battered, he was bleeding, and they tore off his robe, causing additional pain to his wounds on his back. They walked him to the hill of the skull outside of Jerusalem, known as Golgotha. He was dragging his own cross and he collapsed, as you know, with the weariness and was helped the last bit to get the cross where it needed to go. When they arrived, well, Jesus' body was barely recognizable. And it looked like the man had had all he could take. But now it's time to prepare for the crucifixion. It just didn't stop. Well, those are the two, those are the first two of the 16 abuses that Christ had to go through as prophesied. Here's the third one. They disbelieved him. He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid his face, uh, we hid our faces from him. He was despised and esteemed not. They disbelieved him. These next few are kind of psychological. But most of what you and I go through today, it's not physical, it's psychological. It's the thing that wears us down the most, isn't it? The psychological problems that we uh, put up with day by day, on and on and on. So the abuse here is that he was disbelieved, 53.3, and we'll continue on with this verse. He was not only despised that he was, uh, excuse me, not just disbelieved, but he was despised. He is despised and rejected of men, it says in that verse. Well, he's rejected. That's another one. Three, four, and five of those 16. He's despised and rejected of men. Then they hid their faces from him. Number six, we hid our faces from him. He was esteemed not. And what that means is that he was esteemed as having no account. He's worthless. Well, that's what he had to go through. That was the purpose of his death, was to, lie at the, to, to die at that lowest point in the eyes of the Sanhedrin, the Jews, the Romans, everyone. That was the plan. They esteemed him of no value. We esteemed him not, it says in Isaiah 53. Three. So he's gone from the 
exaltation the high, now the low. And he had the highs and lows all through life, but he refused to glory personally in the highs, and he refused to subject, to allow himself to be depressed at the lows. So many things we can learn from just by observing his life in the physical and also in the spiritual. They esteemed him as suffering justice for his own crimes. These are your crimes, you're guilty, you're getting what you deserve. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, in other words, to strike violently, smitten of God and afflicted, enough to browbeat, to depress or to weaken. So beaten and mocked, and in every way he was oppressed, pressured downward, um, psychologically, mentally, physically, all of it. They went astray from him. Number nine, Isaiah 53, six. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Where was his disciples? They went their own way fast. John stood afar off. He sort of got closer at the time of the crucifixion and stood with the women. Nobody else was there that we know of among the disciples that went their own way. They went astray. But he was there for the, for the uh, ones that believed in him and the ones that did not. He died for all. So the iniquities of all mankind fell upon Christ all at once, and he felt it. He felt it. He felt it. He had gone from righteous to feeling the iniquity of us all as a sin. Sin, the sin, had take, he had taken it upon him. God could not even look upon his own son because that was sin that he was looking at. Why have you forsaken me? God had to turn his back. And when this iniquity fell upon him, this sin for a sinful world, Christ suffered the judgment for everyone. And then he bore them away on behalf of the whole world. He took all of the sin with him. So that when he died and rose again, he took power of death hell in the grave from Satan. And now we're all can be resurrected. And we, he's called the firstborn. He's called the firstborn because in this period of grace, he was the first resurrected soul, the firstborn. And we can follow because of his sacrifice. Number 10, they ignored him and they went their own way. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That's the prophecy. And you see what happened. Prophecy fulfilled. They oppressed him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Dumb meaning silent, quiet. He opened not his mouth. Isaiah 53, 7 there. 
In Matthew 26, 63 through 68, confirming these prophecies, we read, And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses have said against thee, in other words? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and among the clouds of heaven. And the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold now, ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He's guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted to him, and that means to hit him with their fists. And others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ. Who is it that smote thee? At that point he was blindfolded, or he was not able to see. Pilate asked him, Art thou king of the Jews? And he answered and said, Thou sayest it. It's interesting right there. We'll read more. This is Mark 15, verse 2 through 5. Stopping right there. Notice how Jesus answered Pilate's question in the affirmative. Thou sayest it. Pilate said, Art thou king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Thou sayest it. That's an answer in the, in the affirmative, isn't it? You've said the right thing. But when there were false accusations, he didn't say a word. How many lessons are there for us? When it was false, he didn't answer. When it was a question, he answered in the affirmative. So it wasn't a charge against him. It was a question. He answered in the affirmative. And the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold, how many things thy witnesses uh, against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. The accusations he didn't respond to. How many of us can say that? <laughs> oh yeah, well you. <laughs> right? That's what we come back with. God forgive us. Number 12, they afflicted him. Hmm. He was oppressed and he was afflicted that word ana and a it means he was browbeaten he was weakened he was belittled he was defiled by and he was by force yet he opened not his mouth he is brought as a lamb into the slaughter and a sheep before the shearers is dumb or quiet so he opened not his mouth then after all of that they slew him in anger He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb into a, slider, a slaughter, and as sheep before his, uh, her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. So, these are the things that he was suffering.
number 14, we're getting to some more, I'm, I'm going to say more theological sufferings. Uh, for lack of a, anything else I can categorize it as. Isaiah 53, 8 through 9. They took justice from him. They took justice away from him. He was taken from prison and from judgment. He was there for a short time before they pulled him in front of the Sanhedrin. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was there any, any deceit in his mouth. That's why he was robbed of justice. Um, he was robbed of justice by the courts of the Jews and also the courts of the Romans and put to death. Imagine the confusion with the original prophecy for the people of Isaiah's day. Now, we don't know any, any of this is going to happen back when Isaiah prophesied it. They'd already been prophesying that he was a poor man, didn't have worldly goods, yet the Jews were looking for somebody rich. But he was a poor man when Isaiah made this, these prophecies and others made the prophecies. So how could a poor man make their grave, which means die, how could he die with the wicked? Well, a lot of poor people will die with the wicked. But having died with the wicked, then how could he be buried with the rich? Sounds confusing to me. How about you? They read that or they hear that as a prophecy and they marvel. How, how could this happen? Yet when it does happen, it should be clear to everyone that it had to be God, doesn't it? just had to be. We pray for things and miracles happen and we say, that's got to be God. Can't be anything else. Sometimes there's prophecies here and when they happen, it's got to be God. It has to be. Um, so in addition, how could anyone who had done no violence nor have any deceit in their mouth, be taken first of all to prison and then be taken out of prison to a court of justice and then killed by, air quotes, legal proceedings, so unjustly and so unlawfully. How could that happen? Well, Isaiah said it, so it's a prophecy, I mean, but people in Isaiah's day were like, what? What are you talking about? Prophecies are often like that, aren't they? I think they're always like that. What? How could that be? How could that happen? Yeah. Exactly. Then through the ages as the concepts and the understandings of who the Messiah would be and how he would come to save all of the Jews, it began to change. Why did the concepts change? Because of the teaching of the so-called learned, learned scholars. In other words, the Sanhedrin. And the scribes busily write down what the supposed scholars were saying about how the Messiah would be when he came. And once they had changed who the Messiah was going to be and what the people would be looking for, in fact, then completing this loop, what 
the scholars would be looking for, having forgotten, I suppose, that they made it up in the first place. They, Christ was totally different than what they had told God and the people that he was going to be. God wasn't listening to them, was he? Problem was they weren't listening to God. Of course, none of that's happening today. <laughs> Every time there's a church board meeting, theology changes in some places. God hasn't changed a thing. They just believe something new. And if enough generations go by, it's completely different. You've heard Pastor talk about some of this already. It's changing all over the world. Hard to fault the Jews when it's, we're doing the same thing as a society. Not just here, but all over the world. When we were in Africa, in uh, Uganda, do you remember that? There was... Um, Forgive me, I'm getting old. <laughs> Help me out, Pastor. <laughs> what you're going to say? The uh, Anglican. I'm trying to say Anglican. The <laughs> word Anglican it just flew out the window. The Anglican Church was very active in Africa, but. While we were there, we were hearing from the Africans that they were going to have to leave the Anglican Church because while they believed what they had been taught and were teaching it and living it in Africa, over in England, the, the Anglican Church changed and decided to believe other more liberal concepts. And so they wanted to make the Africans change. And the Africans said, no, we're reading the Bible too. This is what we believe. Why did you go astray from that? And so the cut, the change, the separation was beginning and was long overdue according what, to what we were hearing. Well, this happened with the Jews in those days as well. So the concepts of who they were looking for as the Messiah and how he would come to save the Jews changed because of these so-called scholars. And Jesus' life and teachings were far from what everyone was waiting for. The disciples were constantly amazed. This isn't what we've heard about. And Jesus would correct their false understanding, not to not because it was their fault, but because they had believed what the people in authority had told them. And even what they had read from the things that the people in authority were writing. Many wanted to keep their positions of power spoke openly about how Jesus cannot be the one we have been waiting for, and therefore this, prof this false prophet must die. Further, the laws that said that Jesus had to die of infractions he had not committed were the result of men's unjust and unnecessary laws. The laws had gone against what God had detailed in prophecy in all the writings about the Messiah. The laws were not in accordance with God's word. God's prophecies. So since Jesus was living according to God's prophecies and ministering that way, there was a departure from man's laws. So we're going to kill him because he is guilty of not believing what we have made up. And I then... That's the same thing that's going to happen to us. That's how they're yeah. going to be able to, to kill Christians is the laws are going to change to, to Thank you. promote that, that scenario. Thank you. I'm on page six. That comes later. <laughs> so but you're sorry. right. You're right. You're absolutely right. And that's what I'm building up toward. Okay. So really, really, you're right. And that's 
I'm glad that you said that because that's what I've been trying to set the groundwork for. Um, over. And it's happening. You know, it's happening now. It's changing. We are not in accordance with the norm of the church, are we? The church in general, I mean. Right. Yeah. We're not in accordance. So we got to be wrong because there's more people believe the other way, according to society. I'd rather be in God's <laughs> good graces anyway, wouldn't you? Um. So the laws that said that Jesus had to die of infractions had not, that he had not committed were man's unjust and unnecessary laws. They were not God's laws. So because you weren't breaking any laws, we have decided to make laws that you are breaking. And we would kill you on that basis. And then we will pressure the Romans to torture and kill you, according to Roman law, to make everything legal so that nobody has any questions why it happened. And so I don't forget what I was going to say about that, even though you probably won't touch on it again. It also, the mindset of the people has also changed, and that's why they're going to support it. Yes. I mean, no one's going to stand up for us. They're all going to think that we deserve to die right. or to be imprisoned or whatever right. the punishment is. Yeah. So they killed him with the wicked. That's how that happened. Sure enough, it made sense. It makes sense now, doesn't it? Didn't make sense when Isaiah said it. But it makes complete sense now. And it's got to be God that something so irrational is what I'm trying to show turns out to be true. How in the world can this be done? It's crazy. What are you saying, Isaiah? It's impossible. Well, it's not impossible with God, is it? Isaiah 53, 9. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. He died with those two guys, two wicked guys on the cross, right? Was able to redeem one of them. But when he was dead, where'd he go? to this rich man's grave. And so the prophecy was fulfilled there. <coughs> well, they characterized him as a criminal. And that's in Isaiah 53, 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Matthew 26, 55 and 56. In that same hour, said Jesus to the multitude, Are you come out against a thief with swords and staves for, to take me? I sat daily with you in the temple, and ye laid no hand on me. But all this was done, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Zechariah 13 and 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn my hand upon the little ones. That's what happened. They, they uh, did smite the shepherd with Christ, and he went to the cross alone. They all left. The only one that was there stood off and stood with the women. Well, there's other verses in Isaiah, but they're really repeating some prophecies, but one of my favorites, one of the first ones I ever learned after Jesus wept. You graduated. Yeah. I must not, I wasn't a primary anymore, I was a junior. That's right. <laughs> 
But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the correction of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. We know that verse so well. It's kind of stuck right in the middle of all these prophecies that we've been reading. Mark 10, 32 through 34. Jesus also prophesied his own suffering and his death. For whatever happened, told his disciples what was going to happen. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen to him saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes. And they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him, and scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. That didn't sit well with the disciples. They tried to change that, Peter especially. Trying to think how to put this. The uh, things that God's plans were His plans and they don't change. The scholars in, of, of the Jews were changing what God had said, they wrote it down. And that became the new law. We wonder, how could this happen? Well, just here in Mark 32 through 34, old Peter, he, in verses after, Peter kind of wanted to change it, didn't he? <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. We will not let that happen. Was he changing the plan? Christ had to say to Peter what he said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Christ wasn't there to have the uh, Sanhedrin get <laughs> stop it and, and get back to the word of God. Um, but that's how quickly it can change. I don't want that to happen. Let's, let's rewrite this part. We're not gonna believe that anymore. We, uh, Tammy and I were watching the news some time ago. And it was a major denomination where the pastor uh, was being ejected from the pulpit in a local Dallas church because of what he was doing. And they were ejecting him out of the church. And as the news report evolved, it was about the fact that he had married two homosexual men. And he was paying the price for that. And what he told the news reporters was, all I did was join two people who loved each other. And That's isn't so sweet. And isn't Christ all about love? Look at the modifications going on there. I mean, it's, not, it's a 180. It's not even a modification, is it? And so once we start thinking about how we, how we think things ought to be and overriding what God has said, we get ourselves in a whole lot of trouble, don't we? Well, I think in this case, you know, God, God's right, but Jesus wasn't living now. He was living then, and society has changed. And so we have to update what we're believing here in accordance with society. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Jesus came to change society. <laughs> right. What are you all doing here? 
And we're seeing that today, aren't we? Yeah, they always say Jesus is love. He and he hung out with the sinner. I said he hung out with them to change them. The change. He didn't hang out with them to be like them. Oh. He never was with anyone that he wasn't there to change. And if they didn't change, he walked away. He kept moving. Sure. I mean, I don't know. It, it is. It's yeah. such deception. It's, it's, yeah. And I get how easy that deception is accepted, though, because people want to be accepted for what they're doing. And the whole problem with the church, I, I use that quote, is that the church became very pious and rejected people who were in sin, but they were also in sin, only they were living a facade yes. before each other. So people see the hypocrisy of people who are saying yeah. one thing but doing another. And so it's hard to be judgmental, meaning you're judging the moment based on the sin of a person while still loving them and trying to get them yeah. to accept Christ and change. I mean, yeah. it's I mean, it's crazy, but I mean, we know the truth of it, but it is harder said than done, you know, to not appear to be judgmental and like you, you know, you don't like the person because they're homosexual or whatever. That's not the point. That's the not, point is trying yeah. to bring them to Christ so that they can find freedom. Right, and get out from under that right. scourge. Right. So, um, we, uh, we have the tendency, though, to avoid a psychological pressure, don't we? When we looked at these abuses, we look at and say, oh, that's physical torture beyond what anybody could take. But some of those 16 verses were psychological, mental oppression, right? And at first glance, we read through it and say, all right, that's just psychological. Wait a minute. We don't sin because somebody's going to beat us up if we don't. Most of the time, we yield to pressure. Psychological. That's as much of an abuse as the physical things that he was being confronted with. That's what I'm saying. Well, that's where the battleground. And that's where we lose our victory is in the psychological oppression, isn't it? Yes, I think the whole, like I said, I was getting to the point that the whole pressure is... Yeah. That, oh, God is love, so we just have to love and not really look at what right. else is going on. Yeah, and if you and don't agree is. with it, then you don't really love. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You're not showing any love when you don't so, agree. And, and I think that's where, the, that's where the breakdown is in the psychological makeup yes. of the church. Yes. Okay. okay Here we. No, you're No, you're doing fine. <laughs> okay, be it. In uh, the next verse, 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was any guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. But whose stripes ye were healed, for ye were as sheep gone astray, but now are returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, 5 through 10, For as the sufferings of Christ abound, in us so our consolation also aboundeth in Christ. And whether we be afflicted like he was, it is for our consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which ye also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for our consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye also be con the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed, or oppressed is another way to say it, out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death 
in ourselves, that we should not trust ourselves, trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver in whom we trust, that we will yet he will yet deliver us. Believing in him that much is an amazing thing. Hebrews two fourteen through eighteen, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them un, uh, who through the death, I'm sorry, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he's able to secure them that are tempted. You know, he didn't have the sin of Adam. He suffered far more than we will in my judgment. Certainly more than we have. And it makes up for a lot, doesn't it? But having done that, he looks at us with grace, knowing how it feels, because he felt it. And knowing what we're going through, because he did, and even worse. But he has compassion on whatever we go through that's personal to him. Well, in conclusion, can you remember doing something for someone and then not receive what you thought was a proper amount of thank you for your efforts? That ever happened? It's happened to all of us, I think, a time or two. Don't like it, do you? So, you know, they ought to be more grateful than for what I did for them, but they're not. Who are they? Who do they think they are? Can you imagine what Christ was feeling? <laughs> for much of his life, but certainly at the end. His ministry and death was all about that, people not being grateful enough for what he was doing. Further, because of his deity, he knew this is how it was going to go before he ever came to earth. He knew what was going to happen, how it was going to happen, and yet he came anyway out of love for us. Seems to me that whatever we may do in life, whatever hardships we may face, are very small in comparison. We think they're great. Stepping back from it for a moment, is it really in comparison to what he went through? I don't think so. What do you think? I think we have the tendency to over-dramatize what's happening in our life. Nobody feels what I feel. He felt worse. It happened to him multiple times more. So what I'm saying as we conclude is, as for me, and I hope I've gotten this point across properly, let us all live our lives in gratitude and lay upon him the problems that we face physically, mentally, spiritually. Lay them on him. Why? He's already paid for them. He's paid the price. He has bought the answer, the victory for whatever we're facing. He's paid for it, paid in full. And he's so willing to help us through it. If we only believe. 
believe that it will happen, believe enough to pray about it, believe enough to have faith for it, and then believe through the time extension that it takes for in God's time to provide the answer. Our time is much shorter. I'm first one to raise my hand to say, my time is much shorter than him. I like to say that I'll put something in the microwave for 15 seconds and I'll, and I'll stand in front of it and go, come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, no, it's the longest 15 seconds ever. Yeah, I know. I know I put in 15. I know how long it's gonna take. <laughs> but, so my time ex is very, very short. God's time is not always very short, is it? And so that's the part that we need to have our faith strong enough to endure. That first of all, he's in control. He's going to make it happen. He's going to provide the answer. It's probably going to be different than what we imagine. <laughs> right? It's not usually going to happen the way we think it happen or the way we think that it should happen or the way that we see it happening but it'll happen amen thank you lord well god bless you all any questions comments more i really like this um, in second corinthians on the last page where it talks about this first line that says for as the sufferings of christ abound in us Boom. I mean, I, but it's so that the consolation will also abound by Christ. But there, you want to talk about being with Christ and his sufferings, it's abounding in us. Yeah. I mean, I know you can read that to say that his sufferings are things that he suffered or what we're, we are the benefit or recipient of, which we are. But I believe that that's talking about what we have to endure so that we can also be called alongside in that paraclesis of what Christ is doing, to be a son like him. But I, abounding, I mean, that's super abundant. Yeah. That's, that's to super abound, to be in excess. And, and, I, and, I, and I know I, I, I was thinking of what you said about how we kind of dramatize what we're going through. Um, and we feel like no one else is going through that or there's no way we don't know if Christ really suffered as much as we are in suffering and people have, tend to have that perspective but I think that sometimes what we're going through is magnified for the purpose of making that point you know getting I, mean, I think God does it to get his point across to us we have to, so we submit to it so that we can also again kind of like if you're humble, you'll be exalted. If you if you feel the full extent of what God is taking you through and you process it through the Spirit and allow Him to help you to overcome in His grace, then you are really also abounding in the consolation. That's There's no way to have one without the other. You're not yeah. going to abound in the paraclesis if you don't abound in the suffering. Yeah. Good. Good thoughts. The question... The hardest question I have to answer, as I'm speaking for me, myself, is when the troubles are abounding, is it because for the purpose of Christ, or is it because I messed up? I think he All uses by both. myself. I think he uses both. I mean, I know that... Well, he uses both, but I'm talking about the reason for no, the problem. I, I think a lot of it's self-error. I definitely do. It is. It's our own bad decisions. But those can also be turned for the good, and that's what's, that's why God's so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Because He makes it all toward His purpose if we allow it, if we are able to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to our error, and and be taught through it. I definitely think that everything Amen. can be turned for could His some, purpose. Could somebody look up Matthew twenty three twelve? It goes along with what Stacy's saying. Please. Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Is yeah. that right? Is that the one? Yes, that's the one. And is our 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 is our 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 
<laughs> problems because we exalted ourselves or is it because we exalted if we're exalting Christ over ourselves life is smoother Absolutely. but, Although we, but if we hard. as soon as pride gets in the way and we shall start exalting ourselves then we shall be abased in order as you said for Christ to make his point the Holy Spirit makes his point. God makes his point in God us. God does that, everything to, yeah. for our benefit. I mean, yeah. that's what's so amazing. But I definitely think the pride is why we make bad decisions. We're always sure. trying to promote ourselves in some way, or at least save ourselves, or protect ourselves. Or, but pride is at the base of that. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. But that's what's so amazing, that even when you mess up in the worst way, not only does he still receive you, but he also helps you to overcome why you messed up. He, he teaches you through it so that, that you know you can overcome and, and hopefully not continue to trip over that same, that same But you still do. I mean, sometimes that is even a, a, journal, a journey of processes that brings you to an overcoming point. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. God bless you. Yes, yes, yes. yes. That's amazing, Dennis. Thank you for that study. <laughs>